entering the Freedom Hut. Congress agrees on a COVID relief package. A new strain of the virus hits the UK. Random restaurant rules in NYC make no sense. And Dr. Burks did some traveling over Thanksgiving. This is the Buck Sexton Show, where the mission mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. Make no mistake. You're a great American again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. He's a great guy. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Welcome, friends, to the Buck Sexton Show. Thank you so much for joining. Only a few days here before Christmas, but still much happening, much going on here at home in the States and even around the world. We'll dive into it together. Finally, Congress decided to do its job a little bit. We got a $900 billion uh, COVID-19 relief package for the economy. This, this is what we're talking about now, right? This is the the way we're supposed to view this is that Congress rides in to save the day. And I got to sit here and tell you, why did it take so long? Why did we have to wait for months? Businesses are going under. People are suffering terribly um, economically and otherwise from this. So what's the reason for this taking so long? Well, we, we know the reason. We know why this took so long. And it's, of course, Nancy Pelosi. And the Democrats were playing games here. They didn't want Donald Trump to have any assistance from the Congress doing what it should have done months ago. So she stood and blocked the whole thing. In fact, she's now agreed to less money than she was offered by Mnuchin over the summer by the Treasury Secretary. So Nancy was so smart in these negotiations, or perhaps I should say, so concerned with the interests of the American people that she slowed this whole thing down under the premise that she wanted more. And now, because she believes Biden has this thing all sewn up and it's all done, uh, now Pelosi is taking less money. Now Pelosi is taking less money. Um, Well, why does that do anything uh, that, that should make us think that the Congress is even a little bit competent or or perhaps a better way of putting it it's not really about competency at some level isn't it because this is what they wanted they'll tell us that oh they stopped us or the other side stymied us but the democrats in congress wanted to slow this whole thing down they wanted to make sure that people were suffering from maximum misery that the economic pain was at an all-time possible high right before the election right that's what they were hoping for And now they're taking a substantially worse deal than what they were offered, because ultimately it wasn't about getting what's best for the American people. It was about doing what will benefit Democrats politically the most. Here's what we get in this deal. Remember, this is the government effectively giving your money back to you. So they shut down businesses. They've shut down millions of people's livelihoods across the country. They've caused a at least a, a temporary recession in many industries. People are uh, bankrupt. They've lost small businesses they've worked on for decades. Uh, they are facing eviction. There's a huge eviction wave that's going to hit in January. People are going to be to- turned out of their homes. Well, now they're finally stepping in to say that they're going to try to prevent some of that. You got six hundred dollars direct payments to individuals making up to seventy five grand a year. Um, And you have 
payments phased out for higher incomes. Um, so with six hundred dollar additional payments per dependent child. So this is kind of a, a means tested situation. And with unemployment insurance, it revives supplemental federal pandemic unemployment benefits at three hundred dollars per week instead of the six hundred dollars per week that expired in July. OK, so you got a little bit more unemployment coming in. Uh, $600 direct payments. It extends pandemic benefits for gig workers. This is all via the AP. Extends the maximum period for state paid jobless benefits to 50 weeks total. Brings back the Paycheck Protection Program, which provides loans to, to businesses that meet certain criteria. So the PPP comes back. Why didn't the PPP come back a long time ago? Ask yourself that. Why has there been such a PPP delay? Oh, that's right. This was politics. This was Democrats making sure that there was increased suffering, that they had the ability. Uh, they had the ability to get, you know, to get money to the American people. But they chose not to. They prefer to do something else. And, and that was to wait and to make sure that the political fortunes of the Democrats were the primary consideration uh, in the Congress, or at least for the Democrats in the Congress, twenty five billion dollar for a new rental assistance program. So these are funds that are going to be distributed by state and local governments meant to help people falling behind on rent and who face eviction. So that's what they've got going on with that. Um, oh, and then also surprise. I This is another one. Uh, they have surprise medical billing, which protects consumers from bills after they receive out of network providers. This strikes me as as I, this doesn't really have anything to do with. It uh, doesn't really have anything to do with the covid relief package necessarily or rather with covid relief directly. But I, I do think that the stories you will hear about out of network benefits are are stunning, meaning that people will all of a sudden think that they're in network. They're out of network. They'll get an anesthesiologist who will swing on by. And sure enough. The anesthesiologist will end up offering a bill for, you know, 40 grand or something crazy for what was supposed to be an in-network procedure. So that, that I believe, is, is ended by this surprise medical billing. Uh, so that's another thing added into this. Now, is this is this a terrible package? No, it, it is going to help. But why wasn't this done in August? Why wasn't this done when the PPP ran out the first time? And I've really been hammering this home because the media is covering for them. It's Pelosi and the Democrats. They didn't want to do what they could to help people because they were benefiting from the suffering of the American people. They were benefiting from people being in misery and losing losing money, being worried about losing their homes, because at that point they just figured they'd vote for anyone other than who's purportedly in charge, the president of the United States. And it's also a reminder during all this, and this, as you know, has been something of a recurring theme here on the show, but it's a reminder of the fact that we, we aren't all in this together. That was never true. Yeah, we all have to deal with the pandemic and with the changes in the world because of it. But for some of us, for some people in the elites, for the ruling class, for elite media organizations, they haven't suffered during this. They haven't had to have massive layoffs. They, they've been considered essential workers. The politicians who have been telling many of you, not only can you not 
go out, see relatives, and enjoy even the most basic aspects of your day-to-day life, uh, those same politicians are out there, and they are uh, telling you that you can't open your business, but they keep getting paychecks. They keep getting paid. So we're not all in this together. They were not suffering the way that you were. I mean, Nancy Pelosi doesn't need the money anyway. She should really give her whole salary to, to charity if she doesn't already. I don't know. Got a very wealthy husband. So they allowed people to be hurt during this while pretending to care about you. This is why people lose so much faith in Congress in general. This is why there's so much outrage at the ruling class in this country, as there should be, because they tell you that they're doing things to hurt to help you while they're making sure that you are hurting. They tell you that they are there to stand for your benefit. These, these are government mandates that cause these disruptions in the economy. Notice that you'll, you'll hear this argument frequently. Oh, it doesn't matter that they ordered all these closures. Nobody would go to all these businesses anyway. Oh, really? Why the closures then? Because that's bull, and we know it's bull. But they just throw these arguments out there trying to absolve those making these decisions of the responsibility for the disastrous, the utterly disastrous economic effects that have come from all of this. And what what benefit? What benefit have we had as a result of them doing all these things? Oh, you're not allowed to ask that question. California, a masking and lockdown and social distancing exemplar for all the rest of us. That's what we were told. They, they were the epitome of listening to Fauci and the science as a state. And now they're having the biggest surges they've ever had. The most cases, the most people in the ICU. California is getting hit. In a way that it is reminiscent, at least in terms of the percentages in the spike of what New York was facing at the very beginning of the pandemic. Fortunately, we have better treatments now. The mortality rate is lower. I mean, there's a lot of reasons why it's not as bad as it was in New York and New Jersey at the time. But just in terms of overall cases and people showing up to go to the hospitalization, it has been an enormous increase in a very short period of time. And we've been told that California over the summer didn't get hit that badly because they were doing such a good job with all these mitigation measures, as Fauci would call them. Why should we still believe that exactly? Show me. I just want to know where the evidence is. I can only ask questions about this now because declarative statements get me into all kinds of trouble. The social media censors come after me. You know, you can't say things like this policy did not work, did it? You can't say that. Not allowed. But I think you can ask the question, how exactly show me how these policies are working. When you have a city like New York with a one one percent of covid cases are believed to come from restaurants, one percent. So they shut down all the restaurants because of that. Now, at some point, you see what we've lost here is the ability to make decisions as a society where we know that we can't stop all of this and trying to stop all of it becomes counterproductive. We no longer have balancing the risks that we're running by being out there living life with the risks of this virus. No, it's now just the people in charge have these diktats. They just say this is how it will be, no matter how stupid, no matter how unlikely to succeed. And if you question that, they treat you like a virus truther, like you think it doesn't exist. Well, I've been wondering when people are going to realize that. In fact, I tweeted out a couple of days ago. Just wait. Just wait until because we're at right now we're in this phase where we think it's all going to get better 
after the vaccine is distributed. Now, not everyone believes that, but most people believe it's going to get a lot better after the vaccine. And I think the vaccine will help tremendously. But we also have to address this mentality, the mentality that there is no acceptable degree of risk from COVID-19, that there is no acceptable uh, mitigation that we can do that isn't to the maximum, right? That, you, that we have to go, it's either exactly what they say or else you're reckless and you're, and you're harming people and you're putting grandma and grandpa at risk. I mean, let me tell you this as we continue to see how this plays out. I, I mentioned that all you have to do is wait, and I put this out on Twitter, wait until you start hearing about mutations and you realize that they're not going to give you back control over your life. How can they? There's mutations out there, man. And you got to get ahead of this thing before it really spreads. So you can't even wait to see what the numbers are. There's mutations. And now where are we? The United Kingdom is in a the most extreme lockdown it has gone to yet because they say they have found a 70 percent more infectious strain of covid-19 in circulation. That is a mutation. Oh, that's right. We we are. It's all going to get better if we just listen to the experts. Right. How many of you still believe that? You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Here you go. Just as I was saying, just as I was telling everybody, countries cut off as Boris Johnson holds crisis meeting on new coronavirus variant. Alarm over the new variant, which was first identified. This is from CNN. Identified in England has resulted in British travelers being cut off from much of Europe and other parts of the world. As countries impose restrictions on travel from the UK, France announced a temporary travel ban. Uh, the move has sparked fears that European exporters would be reluctant to send goods to the UK. The timing of the restrictions just days before Christmas and the end of the Brexit transition period raised concerns about food and medicine. Um, travel restrictions by dozens of countries across Europe, the Middle East and the Americas announced travel bans to the UK, Greece and Spain have imposed restrictions that require travelers from Britain to undergo coronavirus tests or quarantine. I mean, it's just all, all over the place. What do we know about the new variant? The new variant can spread more quickly, responsible for 60% of new infections in the capital, which have nearly doubled in the last week alone. Uh, he said that it's no, no evidence to suggest it's more deadly or would neutralize the effectiveness of the vaccines, uh, but a more easily spread virus could result in more cases. Uh, okay. There, there will be mutations to this as well, and there will be panic that is put in place by those making decisions. That's going to happen. You can basically it's basically guaranteed right now. They're saying, oh, no, we, we the vaccine will still work against it. OK, I think that's hopefully, uh, you know, from what we know right now, from what they're telling us, that's true. What do we have with the influenza vaccine every year? That's right. You have a new vaccine for the flu every year. Do we, does anyone can anyone tell you definitively right now whether there won't be will or will not be a mutation in covid-19 so that it'll be covid-20 or covid-21 or whatever uh, that will mean that there'll have to be a new round of vaccines distributed i'm just saying this is something i believe we should all at least have on the radar we should at least be aware of this very real possibility because the people in charge uh, the people in charge are going to do everything in their power to continue to be in power and to be, make all these calls for you. They will not give it up. 
meaning that it's not going to be here are the guide here are the guidelines guys you know m- make decisions for yourself try to be smart try to be safe but we recognize there's only so much we can do no it's going to be more lockdowns more lockdowns more of this stuff because they'll never admit that this wasn't really the answer even though the pre the pre covid-19 pandemic playbook always always looked at the possibility of a stay at home order, stay in place, freeze, lockdown, whatever, and said this would be too much. So when they were looking at more, even more people dying from a lethal pathogen than we've seen from COVID-19, but they understood the societal and economic impacts of telling everyone you can't see other human beings as, as a mandate of the state, they came away from him and said, well, we can't we can't advocate that as policy. Now, now it's the default policy. You know, it, it was one thing when it was all theoretical, I guess, and academic. Now that they're supposed to be the ones protecting us, now that they're the ones looking for answers, uh, sure enough, they will not they will not relent. They will not go back and say, hold on a second. Maybe we shouldn't have taken it upon ourselves to take away people's basic freedoms and to tell them that they're in no position to make these decisions for themselves. The government, the state has to step in and make these decisions for them until the people say enough. This will continue. You know, the, the old phrase, no one really knows where it comes from, but you see it all over the place. The beatings will continue until morale improves. The lockdowns will continue until the COVID morale improves. They're just going to keep doing it. They will not stop this because to stop it would also, and you have to remember this, would open up the possibility of us being able to see how dangerous this really is in a, you know, how different it really would be in terms of the danger If we just had guidance, but people living their lives versus mandates and closures and all the catastrophe added atop this very awful, evil and lethal virus. We're told that this was a trade off to make everything less bad. There is the possibility that really what we've done is just added insult to injury in many of these cases with the lockdown policy. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Dr. Burks, not quite Dr. Fauci, but Dr. Burks, remember her? She was uh, a mainstay of the coronavirus task force, memorable for her very florid and intricate silk scarves up there during the coronavirus task force. Well, she, over the months, has become more and more of a mask, 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 stay away from people. You know, they, have, they, they don't have any real answers, folks. They, they don't know how to control all of societies that we stop a virus that has, has clearly figured out a way to be very easily transmissible among, among a huge number of human beings. Uh, so what they do is they just repeat themselves and then they blame us, as you know. That's really the go-to. It's not that the decisions they're making are insufficient to deal with this virus. It's that the uh, the people that are supposed to be engaging, the people that are supposed to be acting on the advice of these professionals, you and me, we're the problem. You see, we're the shortcoming. We're the reason um, that the virus still continues to spread. That's what the experts want you to know. It's, it's never that they need to rethink some of this. Have you ever heard have you ever heard Fauci or, or Burke say closing schools was absolutely the not not that. Yeah, maybe we open them. You know, we got to be careful with the mitigation. And no, no. Have you ever heard them say closing schools because of covid 
was a catastrophically bad decision rooted in panic and not data, because that's a fact. Will they ever say it like that? No. You know why? Because Fauci's a big Democrat who's going to be working for Biden going forward, and he doesn't want to upset the teachers unions who demanded the shutdowns because they wanted their teachers to be able to sit at home on a couch and basically play a video and pretend to be teaching kids and still get paid and still get their benefits and not have to not have to even go through the the bother of pretending to do in classroom instruction. So they, they won't come down on that stuff. They won't tell you the truth about all that. You know, in, in New York, they've had all these rules now. It's really tough to even keep up with it. You, you had no you're not allowed in New York City, which, mind you, has half the covid positivity rate of the rest of New York state. So we have less covid in Manhattan, in New York City, well, New York City in general, but specifically in Manhattan, than you do in a lot of other parts of New York state with far less population. Why do you think that is? We have many more people, much greater population density, got hit so hit so badly in this in the uh, early spring. Could it be? Could it be? I'm asking a question. I'm making a declarative statement. Don't want to, you know, yell at me. Serology tests show that New York had a 20 percent covid uh, covid positivity or not positivity, a covid serology rate. So when they looked at blood, they found antibodies to the tune of one in five people in New York City had covid antibodies as of I think it was either May or June of this past year, which was among the highest in the country. And that's just what they were able to tell from the serology test. Then what do you think it would be by now? Thirty percent, thirty five percent. Now, that doesn't mean that people are safe. It doesn't mean covid not spreading. Clearly, it's still out there. But when you have a much smaller pool of people who can be infected, there are all these there are all these blocks in the transmission route along the way. There are all of these places where you can see that somehow it's less less easy for this virus to reach that exponential spread. You know, even we don't understand this, the mechanism of this at all. I mean, at least I haven't seen anyone who's, who claims to know why. Most people only infect one other person, and usually it's a person in the home. So if that person in the home has already had it, you, there's a good chance you, over the course of an illness, will not actually spread it to anybody, right? Because you only then they're the super spreaders. And I've never seen a real explanation for this. Maybe it's just people with extreme viral load for some reason, but they'll infect like a whole room of people somehow. At least that's what we've seen in different instances. There was a famous case in South Korea. A woman, I think, went to church choir practice and all of a sudden there were a dozen or two dozen cases. There are a huge number of cases from what they think was one exposure based on the test and trace that they did. Um, but in, in New York City, we, are, we have lower COVID positivity rate than in the rest of the state. And we're not even allowed to talk about how we're doing so many more tests now that to comparing where we are now to where we were in the early spring and fall, it, it seems like, or early spring rather, it, you know, it's a little bit apples and oranges in terms of how much COVID is out there because there is so much more testing now. But the restaurant regulations are all you really have to know. I mean, they're picking on this industry that their best guess is was under 2% of new COVID cases were happening in restaurants. And they're picking on this industry in ways that it's just it's just mean. I mean, it's it's almost sadistic at this point with the stuff that they're doing to the restaurant industry. They said that you can't uh, you the the people that are dining outdoors, it's freezing in New York City. I mean, there's snow on the ground. It's freezing outside. And people were dining outdoors. They were told initially, you cannot uh, go in to use the restrooms. I talked to you about this last week. 
And that was so dumb. It was finally they finally reached a point where it was so stupid and so counterproductive that they had to, quote, clarify it. But that was the guidance. They wanted people to go eat outdoors at a restaurant, which already is borderline nuts in the freezing cold New York City streets. I might do it if there's a heater just because I want to keep some of these places in business. Um, you know, people say, oh, why not just donate all the money? Well, I mean, I also people need to eat, too. Right. I mean, you're spending money on food to feed yourself and you want to keep the restaurant going. You're not you know, it's, it's a different thing than just saying I'm just going to write checks to every business that's struggling. That's the government's job right now. That actually is the government's job because the government has shut them down. But the restaurant restrictions even go beyond that. There's the 10 o'clock curfew and then there's the you can't. Uh, if you do pickup, I think it's only you can't go into the restaurant to get it. They have to bring it out to you. There are all these rules just just annoying into oblivion. The restaurant industry as it's being annihilated. That's what they're doing. And yet again, I mentioned you, Dr. Burks, who seemed to be the less totalitarian of the duo of Burks and Fauci. You know, she seemed to be the one who was a little bit less extreme in these lockdown situations. And sure enough, it, it comes out that she was telling everybody uh, that we, you shouldn't travel over Thanksgiving. It's too risky. You cannot see your family. You cannot be with your loved ones. And yet, what do you think Dr. Burks did over Thanksgiving? It has now come out. She traveled to a second home, to a country house, if you will, traveled to a second home. And I believe it was either Delaware or Maryland. I forget. Uh, I think it was Maryland, but it doesn't matter. Traveled to a second home where there were three generations of family congregating for Thanksgiving. And do you know what her response was when this came out? Was it, guys, I'm so sorry. This, I, I should not have, you know, I, I shouldn't have done this. I, I clearly have set a bad example. No, of course not. That's, that's not, that wasn't her response. That wasn't what she said. It was, I didn't really want to go but we were trying to close the house up properly because we're trying to sell it. So, you know, it's almost like a business transaction. You could say that I was an essential traveler to my own home, like an essential worker, even though I was with three generations of family over Thanksgiving, as if we're all a bunch of idiots. Oh, she gathered with her family for them. She's an older woman too. keep that in mind. She's at risk from COVID uh, herself. She gathered with family over Thanksgiving, but you're not supposed to. And if you do it, you are reckless. That's that's and you're not allowed to make the choice. Even they're going to do everything they can to stop you from going to these places. They're going to do everything they can to put in place. I mean, in in uh, Oregon, right, they had a six person in a household limitation. Can't go to church the way you want to. Can't be inside your own home the way you want to. Here, here's why, one of the reasons why I'm, I'm so sick of these people. And yes, I, I am cynical about these orders that were given all the time because I see them being just constantly absurdly abused. I mean, so so Dr. Burks travels and then gives us a dumb excuse because, you know, yet another person, none of the people telling you to live your life this way in constant fear, stay away from your family, don't see anyone. None of the people who are making the most noise about that publicly actually do that themselves. What does that tell you? It's easy to call for the sacrifice of your business, of your 
mental and emotional health from being separated from loved ones and family. And all. It's easy to say, just pretend like you're in a frozen state for the next three to six months because that's the safest thing from this virus. You can tell people that. You know, I could sit here and tell you, you know, if you really want to be lean and you really want to have a great physique, you know, you should eat about 1,600 to 1,800 calories a day for a lot of guys in their you know, late, late 30s, early 40s. I can tell you that. I can tell you that that's also not something that I'm doing because I like food. And so I'm not going to pretend like that's easy advice or that's a, a straightforward, you know, yeah, if you want to be like a Mr. Olympian or something, these are the things you do. But for the rest of us, we're not going to do that. The hypocrisy is just too much. The hypocrisy has become too burdensome for me to sit here and pretend like it's not driving me insane. Um, a, a perfect example of this is on on Friday. I was hoping to have a relatively quiet night here in New York City. There's nothing. Look, I, I want to go back to normal life. So I also have better stories for you. I can travel. I can see more Team Buck across the country. I mean, there's so many reasons, right? That's maybe you know on a list of a thousand things. I want everyone to be healthy. I want everyone to be able to go back to work and their lives, and their businesses. But, you know, I also like to be able to tell you better stories than I've been able to the last year, because when you're locked down at home all the time, there's just not a whole lot of whole lot of interesting stuff to say about what you're up to. Um, but I was I was at home on Friday and and there was a party, uh, a party that my a neighbor threw. And it was a loud party at least. And I know the the different parts of the building, meaning what what the layouts are for apartments. This is a one-bedroom apartment this person has. Maybe 600, 600 square feet, not a big apartment. I mean, I don't know. And some of you may think that's a pretty size. I mean, a 600-square-foot apartment is pretty, pretty, pretty tight, pretty cozy. Certainly cozy and tight for over a dozen people, and there were at least a dozen or so people, maybe 15 or 20, in what was probably a Christmas party. Now, look, I'm not I'm not the I'm not the party police. I don't care, really. But the part of this that I find so interesting is that my building is extremely strict about masking my building. You know, they will tell you, go upstairs and put your mask on before you leave. If you walk around, if you're if you pull your mask down for a second and and you're drinking coffee and you don't have that coffee cup up to your lips for more than like two seconds, people are going to come over and say, excuse me, could you mask up again? I mean, that's they are. They are mask maniacs here. The people at the party all together in enclosed space for I mean, they were rocking out. It was it was still going at 1 a.m. and they arrived around eight. So, you know, they're up there for a few hours indoors, close quarters, no masks. OK, I, I went up there. I saw no masks. I didn't go to the party, but I saw what was going on. And do you think what do you think they did as soon as they left the party where they had been with 15 people or so? All, you know, dancing and jumping around and all this stuff. I mean, not jumping or you know what I mean? Partying, whatever. But it was loud. It was a loud party. Obviously, it annoyed me because I wanted to watch a movie in peace. Masked up. Got a mask up for that walk out of the living room. Got a mask up for that. I mean, of the lobby, rather. Got a mask up for that. Um, you know, because that's that's really showing how seriously they take this. Now, to me, I look at this and say, what, what a farce this whole thing is, how absurd this whole thing is, because uh, if you're going to go to a party in closed quarters with a lot of people up close and then you're going to walk out and put your mask on afterwards, you're just doing this for show. And, you know, Burks and Fauci and all the, they show up at all these press conferences where no one's really all that close to them. Wear that mask. You know, people have it on their 
their avatars on social media. Got a mask photo up now. Got to put a mask photo up. What? Why? The whole point of an avatar is so we can see your face. No, no one wants to see you with a mask on. And as we know, it's been politicized beyond beyond belief, really. And the people that are telling you what to do won't do it themselves, which is really all you have to know. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. AOC got the vaccine over the weekend. AOC is, is one of the people you're seeing now who's, who has been vaccinated. Now, now I, I have to ask, why are we vaccinating young, healthy? And this is this is not a specific to AOC. I know there are others and this is the government's plan. So usually I'd bring up AOC and I'd criticize her crazy left wing socialist policies. But I'm just saying she got a lot of attention because she has a huge social media following. She got the vaccine. What are we doing here? Why? Why? This is like a government continuity or national security thing. I mean, the, the chance of someone AOC is like 30 years old. The chance of her getting covid and it being any severe risk to her health is like one. It, numerically, it really is like one in 10,000. I mean, it's it's remote. It's a remote possibility, but she's getting the vaccine. This is going to get uglier, friends. This is going to get worse because the cases keep going up, keep going up. This mitigation stuff that we're doing, it's not going to stop it. We all know that. I mean, will it bring it down a tiny bit in a couple of weeks? They'll say, see, it works so well. Maybe but the virus is going to keep spreading. We're going to keep having this terrible fight with people in the hospitals and and we're going to be losing people. We're going to lose people. And it's awful. And it's a gut punch. And it's been, you know, 2020 is the worst year I can remember in 20 years. At least it's the worst year since 9-11. No question. And now we're starting to see. That, yes, the vaccine is out there, but there's also a time sensitivity to all this. Who gets the vaccine first? I saw over the weekend there was a story that half of U.S. states, according to polls, think that minorities should get the vaccine first. And I'm sitting here saying this is that this is creating very strange tensions in, in our country and in our communities. It should just be by age. The real the real information we have on this that's global in nature, not just specific to America, is that this is dangerous to people in age categorizations and then with comorbidities on top of that. There's no greater risk based upon ethnicity that we know of from this virus. It does not exist. So why is it being treated as such? Why, why do we have that as a, 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 a even a debate that's happening in the country right now? Shouldn't it just be along age lines? You're going to see this is going to get much nastier because there are people right now who are not getting the vaccine, who probably should be at the very top of the list. I mean, AOC got it. She doesn't really need it based on her age demo and other members of Congress too, Republican and Democrat. They're getting it. If they're young, they don't really need it. And there are people who are seniors who are basically, you know, at the, at, at the highest possible risk of this. And they're not getting it yet. We're going to lose some of those people. The government is at some level here picking who's going to live and who's going to die. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
I realize I've been in a rage for four years. <laughs> mm-hmm. You're just realizing you know, we this came now. This close. <laughs> we, well, we have we basically came this close to a dictatorship. I don't think people really get mm-hmm. that 100. Um, percent I'm happy to get rid of uh, people like Stephen Miller and the rest of the cast of The Lord of the Flies. Yeah, she's she's happy. And that's uh, Roy Behar. You're going to hear a, a lot of this, right? A, a lot of the celebration from the Democrats. But they're going to try to do something that, that I refuse to allow them to get away with, at least without pointing it out, without trying to speak the truth, despite all of their lies. This claim that we're so close, so close to a dictatorship. What were I mean, ask yourself this. What were the dictatorial actions that Trump took over the last four years? What were the constitutionally uh unsound what were the overly aggressive and illegal executive branch actions taken did did president donald j trump use drones to kill people including american citizens without trial no he did not barack obama did that did president donald j trump have his doj surveilling and spying on journalists including the associated press and former fox news journalist james rosen among others no, no, that was that was Barack Obama. Did did uh, President Donald J. Trump take actions that had to be constantly undone by the courts, including at the Supreme Court level, involving abuse of executive authority, abuse of executive power, like telling the Senate when it's even in session, for example? No, that was Barack Obama, predecessor to Donald Trump. So we should all be asking ourselves what is it exactly that they're referring to when they talk about Trump as a as a dictator? I, I know there's this story over the weekend that was that's supposedly Trump advisor saying that he should declare martial law. The president's not going to declare martial law. And the fact that he still has people in his inner circle who are willing to go out and leak to the press because someone had to leak this leak to the press at this stage just goes to show you the the fundamental failure of the administration i'm just gonna say it and we need honesty about these things i want to win and i want the best for the country and i think those two things are linked and we don't help ourselves in winning if we don't whether it's georgia on january 5th or any election going forward if we don't have an honest assessment of what went right what went wrong for the last four years the trump administration personnel decisions were really bad in the aggregate in general right some of them were great there were some great picks that trump made and you know who i have thought was was a real standout here uh you know that i I think that bill barr and pompeo are excellent cabinet picks Uh, and I, i think there are others as well you could make a strong case for but there were some real duds there were some clunkers in there too lots of them and the the way that the president staffed up the administration, unfortunately, was a major vulnerability. And it allowed for a tremendous amount. Of, we'll never know the full extent of all the leaks meant to uh, meant to harm this president. All the leaks meant to uh, stymie and stifle his agenda. And yet here we are now looking at at what's being said about the president in behind closed doors, of the Oval Office, and it's being told to uh, the, the press right away. And so now they get now the the imbeciles of the world like Joy Bayard. This woman's a comedian, folks. She has no 
She has background in nothing other than essentially like making not particularly funny jokes and and just being a, a, a doctrinaire dumb lib. That's what she does. That's really her expertise. But she's given a large platform at ABC on The View and she's paid, you know, millions of dollars to do this show. And she's echoing. I was telling you, The View is good because it's it's lowest common denominator Democrat talking points. That's what you're getting. Like, what, what do the the dumbest Democrat pundits on TV, what do they want low information voters to think about what's happening in the country? And if you want to get bathed in that stupidity, you just watch The View and it will it'll, it will wash all over you. You'll you'll all of a sudden know all about the dumbest possible takes on America. And so when she talks about the 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 dictatorship here, I mean, Trump and, and I cannot reiterate this enough. If Trump really wanted to be a dictator, he had the perfect excuse if he really was of that mindset, the perfect excuse with the covid pandemic. Right. He could very well have said, look what the Democrats did. They use covid as a way of advancing their own policy agenda and and essentially lining up the election to be uh, to be full of fraud, to be full of irregularities that they knew would benefit them. Right. So they did that. They use COVID in that way. Trump very well could have said, sorry, too dangerous. Can't have an election this year. Now, I would have opposed that. I don't think that's OK. I thought elections should have been held entirely in keeping with the way they've always been held and shouldn't have been all these emergency declarations because of COVID. But if Trump were the person they claim he is, that would have been his approach. That would have been the way that he tried to set this up. And he didn't. In fact, he went in the opposite direction. The Trump response to the pandemic was not, let me take away your freedoms. Let me insert myself more than ever into your life. It was, how do we try to have good, have good public policy here while also respecting individual autonomy? And if anything, I think that he could have pushed further in that direction. But that was certainly his impulse. President Trump's impulse was not to use this as a chance to run roughshod on the Constitution. That actually happened with Democrats in blue states in governorships and mayor, mayors and, and some state legislatures, although really it was it was the governors and the mayors acting like the, the petty tyrants that they are. So this is just nonsense so that they keep saying that Trump is a dictator or that we just avoided dictatorship. No, they were a bunch of disgraceful liars about this president for four years. And now they want to try to, after the fact, justify this. We didn't go to war with North Korea. He didn't lead us into a nuclear conflagration. He didn't destroy the economy. He didn't invite, you know, white nationalists to take over the White House and barricade themselves and never leave if he lost the election. The crazy nonsense that was mainstream Democrat thinking about this president. We cannot let them forget that we know what they said we can't let them do this rewriting of history which i'm sure they very much want to do can't allow it can't have it all right can't let them do this rewriting of history um and pretend that what they said wasn't completely crazy now there was some breaking news today about attorney general bill barr and attorney general bill barr um 
said that he did not he did not think that he was going to uh, appoint a a special counsel. Here he is. Play clip 12. So here's what the, the attorney general's the basics of what he said. He claimed that there, he doesn't see a reason to do this right now. And, and I know the right is all freaking out. And you have a lot, not everybody, but a lot of people are very angry. And a lot of pundits, including people that I like and generally agree with on a vast majority of issues, fellow Trump supporters out there who I think are right 90 percent of the time. Some of them, I disagree with them on this one. And I wanted to make my case to you because I know some of you are saying why. And, and I will point out to you that on this issue, I'm I'm not sure I agree with Barr, but I can I understand what his why he's taking this position. I understand that. Now, it doesn't mean that I think it's right, but I want to explain what I think is going on here. Attorney General Bill Barr, when people ask me, why are you so favorable to him? And it's not just because I'm one of like four radio shows he did an inter- interview with this year, which I, I appreciated. Um, it's because and I think I should state that, too. Right. A lot of people, the more access they get to certain public figures, the nicer they are about them in public. I thought Attorney General Barr was great long before he did an interview on my show. And if he's willing to come on my show because he thinks I'm smart and I do a good interview, well, then that's all to the good. But as you know, I've thought this guy was really talented and important. And, and here's what that really comes from. Not only knowing his background and knowing his, uh, his, his approach running the DOJ before he was attorney general this time around. Remember, he was under H.W. Bush. He was the attorney general. But on the Russia collusion issue, he knew what they were trying to do with the Mueller report, really the Weissman report, as we know. He knew what they were trying to do, and he outmaneuvered them. He outmaneuvered them. And they were trying to weaponize for the purposes of politics that special counsel report. And it was really this, this, just this uh, impeachment menu a la carte, right? Oh, look at all these. Just pick one you want to go with. All these different, on their own, flimsy theoretical violations of presidential duty that for which he should be impeached that were in the remember the 10 possible counts of obstruction in the Mueller report. Attorney General Barr came out right ahead of that and said, look, we looked at this. We've read it. There's nothing here. The end. They can say whatever they want, but they don't have the goods ball game." Now, the left obviously said, oh, he's, he's a Trump's puppet. And they, you know, and and that was because they realized that by heading them off on that issue, he didn't allow them to get a full, uh, you know, the full momentum of, oh, my gosh, this president's so corrupt. We have to take action against him. Let's do let's do something here. Right. Let's get rid of him. They weren't able to use the Mueller report to the full extent that they planned. So this is how I argue that, in a sense, Bill Barr stepped in and may have saved the Trump presidency because they desperately want. Look, they impeached him over the phone call. They wanted to impeach him over the Mueller report. But because of the narrative shift, there wasn't the political will to do it. Remember, that was a political process. It's not a criminal process. And that was the way they were going to argue it. Sorry, we, we could do better than this president. We have to impeach him and remove him. Now, I know they wouldn't have had the votes, but it would have been a far more contentious impeachment and a much more serious one than the complete farce that, as we know, they pulled off the last time around, I mean, which was a ridiculous effort at destroying this president. So that's that's what I see. That's why. Oh, and also he stepped in and said the Roger Stone sentencing was absurd. I mean, that was just vicious. It was vindictive to sentence that guy to nine years in federal prison for not really doing anything. 
Yeah, I mean, he 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 tried to be clever with some FBI guys and they nailed him to the wall for it. Well, he didn't do anything, though. He didn't. There was no other crime. It was a process crime. And we all know that they tipped off CNN, the DOJ uh, team running the special counsel tipped off CNN so they could be there for the maximum humiliation of the perp walk out of his own home, sending a SWAT team to get him. I mean, the, the whole thing was just ridiculous, right? Bill Barr stepped in on that one. So there are multiple areas where this attorney general was doing a fantastic job at the administration. And you know this, you know this because they hated, absolutely hated Bill Barr. They said that he was a disgrace, that he was Trump's puppet, that he should be, not only should he lose his job as the AG, but he should be disbarred. And they could not come up with enough things to say about the attorney general that were derogatory and spiteful and everything else, because they knew that he wouldn't allow them even on. Remember, you had a Trump in the in the White House. You should think the executive branch, it would be hard to turn it against him. But that's what happened with Russia collusion in the first place with Comey and all the rest. But with Barr at the top of the DOJ, they weren't able to do that. He did declare a special counsel already assigned a special counsel on uh, what happened in Russia collusion, which was the right move. Now we get to today's news. And I just want to tell you, this is my, my full feeling about this current attorney general. I wanted to give you really where, I'm, where my head is on this. You get to today's news. Why won't Attorney General Barr appoint a special, I said declare, I meant to say appoint, appoint a special counsel to look into the Hunter Biden stuff? I think, he, I think that he should. But I think that when he looked at Hunter Biden, he looked at Russia collusion. His belief is that Russia collusion is a more important, broader scope threat to the integrity of our system and that there's a greater chance of getting justice at some level, maybe, uh, on that issue. And then he looked at the Hunter Biden probe and he says, uh, there's no way, even with a special counsel, this is my thinking, this is my analysis. I, I could be off here, but... I don't know, unlikely, but maybe that maybe uh, the the thinking here, the thought process for Barr was if we appoint a special counsel on Hunter Biden, it's not going to make any difference, really. It's not going to go anywhere because they won't let it go anywhere. And if need be, Biden will just shut the whole thing down, but say he hasn't shut it down and the Democrats will cover for him. And if we look like we're being that political, essentially, you can have one special counsel haunting the incoming administration to, to point to a point two looks like you're playing games. You're unfairly weaponizing the system and you do create this escalation, this arms race effect of now is every administration going to have a special counsel appointed if the other political party comes into power? I think that's why Bill Barr here is saying we got one special counsel. I'm not going for a second one. That's my sense of it. And maybe he also thinks of the Hunter Biden thing isn't going to really go anywhere. I disagree with not appointing this special counsel, understand that, but I see why the attorney general is doing it. And those who are saying this attorney general is a sellout and everything, I, I disagree with that. I don't think he's a sellout. I think he's trying to make the smartest decisions he can for the country and for the Constitution possible at this stage. You can disagree with him, and I do, on this one issue. But to call, overall, to trash this guy the way I see a lot of people on the right, including people I really like in general, I, I think that they're off base on this one. 
You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. If that reporting is true, and I don't have firsthand knowledge of it, but if that reporting is true, um, remember the thing that Ronald Reagan used to say. He used to say personnel is policy. And what he meant was that the people who surround you and what they do will help to determine policy. This is why someone like Michael Flynn never belongs anywhere near the White House, let alone inside the Oval Office and his lawyer, Sidney Powell. Now, I've been talking about this since the transition in 2016, how dangerous I thought General Flynn was. I sat with him in in security briefings with the the then candidate, Donald Trump, um, and then with President Donald Trump. And I will tell you um, that he is not fit to be giving advice to anyone. And I think the best advice I could give the president is keep Michael Flynn and Sidney Powell out of the Oval Office, and then those really bad ideas will stay out of the Oval Office as well. So it is not helpful. I don't care what anyone says about, you know, anything having to do with what happened in this election. A- any talk, if there was any, and, and look, Chris Christie's even saying he doesn't know this is a report. Is this a report that's credible? But I did see that uh, General Flynn put out something about declaring martial law on Twitter. So that did happen. That's not helpful. General Flynn was wronged by the federal government. General Flynn was wronged by deep state Democrats who tried to ruin his life. And, you know, I've been a major advocate of getting justice for him, getting him. I I was hoping it wouldn't require a pardon, but it did. Uh, But getting him out of legal jeopardy and making this man making this man as whole as we can after the craziness that he was put through. That said, uh, talk about martial law right now is not is is uh, not helpful and it's actually irresponsible. It's actually irresponsible. We, we can't we can't have that going on. So I and I know people are saying, oh, the bug, we fight till the end of anything else. What does the country really look like if someone did that? We think about it for about 10 seconds. You realize that's a that's a no go. We're not doing that. So we use the courts. We use the system we have. You know, you you follow through with the election with the system you have, unfortunately, and that's what we got to do. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Well, you are right that Friday we finally got our FBI briefing. It was just the speaker, Nancy Pelosi, and myself. It was a very thorough briefing. No one that was in that room could walk out and say Eric Swalwell should be on the Intel Committee. I don't know they had a briefing before in 2015, and I don't know what that briefing was like compared to this one, but it could not have been the same. The one answer that I got out of that briefing was there is no way Eric Swalwell should continue to serve on the Intel Committee. And the challenge here is the leaders of both parties are the only people who select to go on the Intel Committee. That is why today, Maria, what I'm going to request, that every single member on the House Intelligence Committee gets the exact same briefing from the FBI that I did. Because if this individual is sitting on this committee, Eric Swalwell, they've got to know the background of what has gone on. Swalwell has got a problem here. Swalwell's in some hot water. And as I've said to you, I, I, I'm, I'm going to tell you right now, this is going to be a constant. The Swalwell saga for me brings up a couple, a couple of, of enormously important issues. One is the extent of Chinese influence operations in the United States. Um, which you know, I did a special on the first TV about this recently, talking to experts about the, the scale and scope of this. It is so broad. So many people uh, have no idea 
how much corporate and media and political muscle the CCP has deployed overtly and covertly in the United States. And we'll talk more about that, certainly on this show. But then there's also the how much of 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 what I have been calling Operation Reciprocity. Right. To borrow from the clear and present danger, uh, clear and present danger CIA operation. Right. Uh, from the movie with Harrison Ford. It's not a real thing. And, and how much of Operation Reciprocity am I willing to advocate for against the Democrats? Because here's here's where this starts to get complicated. We, we have to maintain our principles. And I was talking before about martial law. We have red lines that we, we don't cross. Right? We have red lines that we say, even, even if it means we get to crush the slimiest and most grotesque of the libs, there are some areas where we, we should not use those tactics. But, and this is the post, this is post Kavanaugh buck talking to you, we've also got to play rough. Right? So this is a little bit like uh, we're in a, you know, we're in a football game here, and I'm telling you, yeah, you know, maybe sometimes you're going to poke the other guy in the eye a little bit when you're at the line of scrimmage. Maybe you're going to do some, you know, you're going you're gonna to hit him a little hard, a little bit of a spearing with the helmet or something, but you're not going to go out there with brass knuckles on and take a shot at somebody when the ref's not looking, right? I mean, there's, there's playing a little rough, and then there's you, you've, lost the, you've lost the plot, you've gone too far, and and this is an ongoing conversation for me because I, I want, for example, the special counsel about Russia collusion because I do think there needs to be accountability on that, which means people should go lose their jobs and go to prison. That's what that means because they were trying to do that to other people. and It was horrible what they did. The Russia collusion hoax liars in the government, in the media. Uh, and then I said, well, should we have a, spe- a special counsel on Hunter Biden? Bill Barr says, no, I think we should have one. But I know why he's not willing to do that at this point. I understand why his thinking is what it is. And I don't think it's because he's he's a wimp, which I'm hearing a lot of that. I disagree with that. Um, and then I get to this with Swalwell. And here's another time where, you know, that old phrase, what's good for the goose is good for the gander. I think that's an old phrase. Uh you know, what what is one side? You, you know what it means. Anyway, what, what our side has had to go through with a president and and advisors and even members of the first family called the traitor on behalf of Russia. And that Swalwell was one of the chief smear campaigners on this. I mean, he was one of the guys out there saying that 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 Trump was a Russian asset, that there was that there was intel about him. So it's very hard for me to want to extend any because, you know, there is this area of judgment here. There's this sense of is Swalwell, you know, do do we give him any benefit of the doubt or do we just assume this guy was allegedly, you know, sleeping with this Chinese spy that's been alleged has not been proven that he was uh, compromised in very serious ways by this person, perhaps even associates of this person. I know that she put a an intern in Swalwell's office. Uh, so, you know, should, should we say, OK, look, Swalwell is a slimy loser and what he did to Trump is disgusting. But should we just go to the go to the max with this and be like, well, this guy should step down from the Intel Committee and he should really have to leave Congress entirely because you can't trust him. That's kind of the ultimate sanction here. And it's very hard. 
it's very hard from from a, a pure fairness, from a pure justice perspective to draw that line between, well, should Swal- should Swalwell be held to that standard because he was calling other people a traitor without evidence? Why shouldn't we assume that based on the real evidence there is here that he is a traitor? Right. You see what I'm saying? That there, There's this area where. You know, people are already jumping to, oh, well, he had access to classified at some points. We don't we have nothing to prove right now. And that's a very serious allegation. We have nothing to prove that he passed along classified information. But we're going to give him due process in terms of the public debate. This isn't a legal question yet. We're going to give him due process when he denied that to others. This is a challenging one for me. This is a challenging one because I want to fight hard against the other side and I want to hold them accountable But I also don't want us to turn into them. And the Swalwell situation for me feels like it could easily be that. But I'm also open to being I'm also open to being convinced here that, uh, you know, Swalwell, he he showed us what the standard was. The standard standard was, you know, innuendos and smears should lead to investigations, should lead to public repudiation. Should so shouldn't he be held to those? And at a minimum, you would think this is a guy who should not be on the House Intelligence Committee. I mean, just because of his incredibly poor judgment, you know, he was given a defensive briefing, they say, by the FBI. I'm I'm sure that was where they sat down. They said, hey, buddy, this lady that you're having this relationship with, whatever that means, we're pretty sure she's a she's a a Chinese spy from their ministry of internal security. And you better be real careful about how this thing goes. Swalwell is taking the position that from there, he essentially cut off contact. He wanted nothing to do with her. And essentially, he didn't know. And he's saying he didn't break any laws. And it may well be true that he didn't break any laws. Understand that. That is a real possibility here. Um, Unless there was a campaign finance violation of some kind, which, let's be honest, that's not the biggest of laws to break. Okay, I see. I try to maintain principle here. Or if there was any passage of classified information, I mean, that would be a very serious crime. But we have no proof of that. No, we do not have any proof of that right now. And and so we look at what should happen. And I just think that Swalwell, for reasons of his pushing the Russia collusion hoax and also for his obviously bad judgment and the likelihood that he may very well have been compromised about his view toward China because of this relationship. So it even just goes at the policy level. It goes at the does Swalwell really understand the threat, the menace we face from the Chinese Communist Party when he's when he's very likely been propagandized to for a long time here by this Chinese spy or for years by this Chinese spy who he obviously had a very close relationship with. Okay, let's how close. Well, but it was close. The FBI is giving you a defensive briefing is because you're spending a lot of time with somebody. Okay, this isn't someone that he shook hands with once at a fundraiser. Yeah. So what what happens now with him? I mean, Kevin McCarthy saying he should step down from the Intel Committee. He should, but he won't. And he won't because to do so would be an admission and would create greater questions around just what exactly happened here. And Swalwell has learned a very a very powerful lesson before all this, which is that if you're a Democrat, you can get away with a lot. And you can be a hypocrite. You can have double standards and the Democrats will defend you and they will support you and you will operate with a kind of invulnerability. But if you don't serve the party's interests, if you don't 
serve the needs of the DNC, you all of a sudden become expendable. So he's not going to do anything that's pushed by good judgment or good faith. He's going to do whatever he thinks is most likely to benefit him, which means he's going to stay in that seat. But this story is not going to go anytime. And it is indicative of a much broader threat that that we have to start really digging into while the while the Democrats have got us all. And I know there was this Russian hacking and the Russians are hacking and doing things meant to off balance us and to steal from us. And, and that should be that should be a, a point of focus. I'm not saying Russia is not a pro- I've never said Russia is not a problem for us. Russia is a problem. It's not even on the same scale, though. It's nowhere near what we're dealing with with the Chinese Communist Party. Nowhere near what we've got with this this threat that is facing us from China. And and Swalwell, I think this is a wake up call for this. I mean, when they're when they're deploying what the Soviets would have considered illegals, not illegal aliens that cross the border, but illegals as in people not covered by any diplomatic immunity um, who are doing spying and who are engaged in the practice of of long term influence operations in a foreign country operating under the deepest of covers. That's essentially what Swalwell was uh, was targeted for. An old old school KGB operation, but done by the Chinese Communist Party. And these kinds of operations for countries that are really dedicated to them can be enormously influential and powerful. And until we understand the full scope of the full uh, extent of this threat, then then we're not able to come up with ways to really counter it. And the Democrats don't want to. The Democrats, because they they are completely in the pocket of major corporations. Democrats in corporate America are very tight for the social media companies, for the media companies in general. They want access to the Chinese market. And that means that they're going to turn a blind eye to this whenever they can and think they're doing the country a favor. And Swalwell, I think, is almost certainly one of those people who is super hawkish on Russia, dovish on China. And it may be about a lot more than just what he thinks is in the foreign policy interests of the United States. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. We'll make a judgment all the time about what the needs are. Uh, I think that when you see the surge in the coronavirus, you know that we cannot just think it's over or that we can ignore it. The denial, the delay, the distortion, the calling it a hoax has caused hundreds of thousands of deaths, not all of them attributed to President Trump, but most of them. They could have been avoided. So this is a matter of life and death, the lives of the American people and the livelihood of our economy and their economic security. What a horrible lie from a terrible person, Nancy Pelosi. Most of the coronavirus deaths could have been avoided except for President Trump. What is the basis for this? You know, it's troubling. And I, I know that it's Something that maybe you hear and you say, Buck, why would you why would you even subject us to such idiocy? I'm telling you that most Democrats that I talk to actually believe that. I'm serious. Most Democrats that I talk to think that Trump they'll say they'll concede that he's not responsible for all the covid deaths, but they place personal responsibility on him for a large portion 
and or a majority of the COVID-19 deaths, which is insane. There's no scientific basis for this. There's no evidentiary basis for this. It is completely nuts. Remember, they were saying if only Trump had gotten us to wear masks sooner, it would have saved so many lives. Trump has now for months been saying mask up, wear masks, all this stuff. Are, are masks stopping this, the, the waves from hitting, the COVID waves from hitting in California and elsewhere across the country, in New York? I remember, it was all about his masks was the only thing that Trump really failed them on. That was what they were saying. It was a mask. He was always saying social distance. He was always saying wash your hands. In fact, Trump's, based on what we know, been a hand-washing guy, you know, wash your hands guy for a long time before the COVID-19 pandemic. Doesn't like germs. So... What what is the basis for them making this claim? I mean, this outlandish, evil claim that Trump is the reason Trump is responsible for this number of uh, this amount of of deaths. And uh, I'm just trying to tell you that Trump derangement syndrome is not going away. They're still going to have a kind of hatred for this president that's completely divorced from reality. They're still going to think that President Trump is the worst president ever and that Anything that they said about him, even if it wasn't true, as long as it was negative, was justified. That's their view of all of this. Even to, to lie about Trump, and this was essential, to lie about Trump in opposition to Trump was something that the Democrat Party and the mainstream media decided was a moral act. It was a good thing. It was something that was praiseworthy. To lie about the president was something that was called for. Because anything to defeat him, anything to stop him was inherently justified. Now, I bring this up, one, because you're going to continue to hear these lies about Trump even in the next four years. And beyond that, that same mentality, you will see a shift where the same willingness to say lies, to defeat the other side, the same willingness to be vicious and vindictive and uh, petty beyond all belief for political points that was all focused on Trump from the left, this is about to be now dispersed. This will be dispersed to other issues, other areas of our public life. The fixation on Trump as the great evil when it comes to not masking up enough it's going to now be focused in on, on all Trump supporters. We will be the problem, even if it's not Trump's fault. Trump voters are the problem. That's why there are so many people that um, don't have appropriate masks on or whatever. That's what they'll say. So get ready for this, because it's, it's going to get really ugly out there. Um, they've learned no lessons. They have no shame, no remorse whatsoever. The only sadness that Democrats have about what they've said over the last four years with all the lies, all the disgrace, their only sadness is that they weren't fully able to get Trump out by impeachment or the 25th Amendment or whatever it is. They're still angry about that, but everything else they think was fine. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. You just wonder if we shouldn't uh, just uh, get rid of the 25th Amendment because in any other time, 
any other sane time, mm-hmm. it would be used to temporarily remove a president from office if he were talking about these sort of things. See? Not, e- not even here with a few weeks, a few weeks to go before uh, Inauguration Day. What, five weeks maybe? Something like that? Not even at this phase will they drop talk of the 25th Amendment. No, they still insist. They still insist on bringing up the 25th Amendment and and are trying to find ways. Because it's not, remember, it wasn't enough. It wasn't enough for them to, uh, to just demean this president and to attack his supporters in the way that they did. They want a repudiation of Trumpism. They want Trumpism to be something where, you know how the left will just call someone a racist and they feel like that's all they have to do. And there's unfortunately some there's some value that they get out of this because it does it, it, it tarnishes somebody. All they have to do is call someone a racist with the flimsiest justification or even zero justification. They just say it and it's like it's like throwing slime on somebody. It doesn't matter if they're innocent. It doesn't matter if they didn't do anything. Now they're the guy. Why do you got slime on you? Right. What do you do? That's how it works. And and they want it to be they want Trump support or to be someone. If you go forward and you say that you really thought Trump did a good job as president, they want that to be in our culture, not among you and me, but on the left and the mainstream media and everything. It'd be like a laugh line. Ha ha ha. Trump was the worst. He's disgusting that they hate this guy and they're not going to give that up. They're not going to change that. And that's why something like the 25th Amendment, they'll still talk. Of course, it's not going to happen, but they'll still talk about this. Because they have a fixation. I mean, they really have an obsession with the destruction of Trump and Trumpism, which will not be met until they feel like he is the brand is toxic. You can't bring Trump up. You can't talk about supporting him without risking your social standing, without risking your good name. That's that is the goal. And that is the only sufficient state when maybe they'll sound a little bit less unhinged and deranged because they'll have accomplished what they want. Then then they'll they'll take the foot off the pedal a little bit because they'll be so, so excited for themselves. Um, I mentioned before how Pelosi, uh, Pelosi said that all the COVID deaths are Trump's fault, which is a horrible thing to say. It's baseless. It's wrong. It's dumb. But she knows that that's what Democrats want to hear. I mean, they, they feel like they have this incredibly uh, clear justification for all their hatred of Trump because of his handling of COVID-19 and this, they will tell you, delivered essentially the uh, the presidency to Biden. That's their that's their view of it. Well, Pelosi also said something about the relief bill, and I'm sorry, I'm not going to allow I'm not going to allow this to go unanswered, at least insofar as I can try to answer it on the platforms that I have. Uh, Pelosi is, is a disgrace. Play play nine here. What took so long is because we could not get our Republican colleagues to crush the virus. I couldn't understand it. Why would they not want to invest in the science that has told us so importantly that it required testing, tracing, treatment, separation, sanitation, and the rest? And when we had the bill and the HEROES Act and even the smaller HEROES Act because we reduced the time, they said we just made a light touch on your language on testing. No, 53% of it to take out everything that referred to minority communities. 
communities of color were so hard hit in all of this. And now we see why. They didn't believe in the science. We knew that. But they did believe in herd immunity. And that's why they nev- we never could come to that first bill- pillar, crush the virus. She's a liar. She's a liar. First of all, herd immunity is what a vaccine does for you. So, yes, we believe in herd immunity. Nancy Pelosi is a nincompoop. Yes, she's cunning. She's powerful. She's ruthless. She's also an ignoramus. Of course, we believe in herd immunity. That's the only way you ever get past a virus like this. And that is what a vaccine does. It creates, it accelerates the process of herd immunity. But Nancy, I mean, do you think that Nancy Pelosi has read a book from start to finish in the last, I don't know, 30 years? I I don't think so. Do you think Nancy Pelosi is a reader? Do you think she's an intellectually curious person? No, Nancy Pelosi is a a power mad uh, liberal elitist who just has a super rich husband and does exactly what she has to do to continue to get elected in a district that's full of wealthy liberals disconnected from the reality of the world around them. So that that's Nancy Pelosi's special skill. Um, That's Chardonnay socialist Nancy's way of of being. But I mean, there's so much what she says is wrong. They didn't believe in the science. How does Nancy Pelosi believe in the science? Look at the Democrat states that did all that do all the things they want to do. All the mandates, everything else. Disasters. Disasters. So their belief in science has done what for them exactly? Oh, but Buck, it'd be so much worse. Really? We believe that? It'd be so much worse if we didn't have mandates for masking? And notice they pretend they can't tell the difference between a mandate and individual responsibility and ingenuity around uh, personal health decisions. All right? You know, my body, my choice for murdering unborn babies, they're all about, but my body, my choice for am I going to go jogging with a a mask on like a dumbass by myself. Yes, they want you to do that. There's no reasonable scientific basis for that whatsoever. But yes, they want you to do that. They're, they have outdoor mandates in some states. Where's Dr. Fauci on that one? Why isn't he saying that outdoor mandates are silly? We shouldn't have those. Well, because all the all the Fauci decisions go in one direction. All the Fauciisms help the Democrats, hurt the Republicans, help the lockdowners, hurt people who believe in freedom and individual choice. People who recognize the government does not give a crap about you. Nancy Pelosi doesn't give a crap about you. At all. That's obvious. Why did she delay? Why Why was there this hold up, this, uh, this slowing down of COVID relief funds? Because we all know why. She's saying it's because we believe that the Republicans believe that herd immunity. This is absurd. There was a slowdown in all of this because Nancy Pelosi wanted people to be desperate and hurting and sad and anxious going into the presidential election. As many as possible. She played politics with people's lives and their livelihoods. Families have been broken apart. People have taken drugs and drank themselves to death. Because of what has happened this year with COVID, Nancy Pelosi does not care. Instead, she says that Trump has done nothing and, in fact, is responsible for all the deaths from a pandemic disease. That Have you seen what's going on in, in London right now? Have you seen what's going on in France? Have you seen what's going on in different parts of Europe? 
Worst cases they've ever had. Worse hit by this than they've ever been before. And what's the answer? It's some, some, some gibberish about, you know, now we're going to crush the virus. We can't crush the virus with the mandates and the policies that are in place. That is the obvious truth you are not allowed to say. We cannot stop this thing from spreading and infecting people. Can we slow it a little bit for a period of time? Maybe. But as soon as you stop the measures that are actually slowing it, it spreads freely again. So what, what are you you're trying to buy yourself time? How much time? And time for what exactly? It was 15 days to slow the spread. Now it's going on a year of this insanity. But Pelosi wants you to think that the whole problem, the whole reason for all these failures is Donald Trump. Because they have to also make everybody forget, and I will not forget about this, the first three years of the Trump presidency when we had a guy who was promoting prosperity, peace, and sanity in in public life. Yeah, calling out the media for the bunch of frauds and liars they are. That's like my favorite thing about the Trump presidency. All these, all these sociopathically self-obsessed TV journalists in particular, the worst, but these different news organizations, they're not, they're Democrat propagandists. It's a political monoculture. They don't offer up any alternative opinions. They don't take the other side seriously. They're just there to smear the other side. It's not about the truth. It's about discrediting. That's their goal. That's what they're trying to do all the time. It is about discrediting conservatism, the Republican Party, the GOP. That's why the media exists. So what what does Trump do? He points that out. He brings that up and calls them out for it. And that's one of my absolute favorite things about him. But he was a very successful president who was hit with a pandemic. And what they wanted to be is he was a president who didn't care and caused hundreds of thousands of deaths in a pandemic and don't ask any questions about, oh, I don't know, is Trump better on foreign policy? Did Trump have a more successful foreign policy than Barack Obama? The answer is obviously yes. Did Trump have a more successful economy in his first four years than Obama did in his first four years? The answer is decidedly yes. Was Trump right about the need to secure the border and to take action so that we have sovereignty again in this country? You know the answer to that one, too. But it all just turns into this effort to blame the entirety of the pandemic on him. And don't don't allow any thinking for oneself here. That that can't happen. You can't stop and say, hold on. Hold on a minute. Uh, Why is it that all these other countries that don't have Donald Trump as their leader have had a terrible time dealing with covid-19? But we're supposed to believe that Trump's failures are what led to America. You know, people that say things like America has the most COVID deaths, not per capita, you jackasses. And that's what matters here. If you're really gauging the success or failures of the response, I mean, to compare, uh, yeah, we have more deaths. We have more deaths overall than Italy does. But Italy is one fifth the, the size, one sixth the size of the United States. And when you adjust for population, Italy is worse. Spain is worse. The UK is worse at dealing with this. And there's a lot of reasons why that is. But to blame it all on Trump is just it's intellectually sloppy and lazy and gross. 
but central to the uh, Democrat themes these days. They're, they're big believers that this is, uh, this is what needs to be drilled into the public's mind. We must be forced to look at it this way because it benefits them. And we, we understand that ultimately this is about power. Ultimately, this is about who gets to be in control. And what are Democrats more obsessed with than anything else? Power and control. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. From the beginning, what I tried to focus on was a very simple concept, equity and excellence, that we needed to profoundly change the distribution of resources. Uh, I like to say very bluntly, our mission is to redistribute wealth. A lot of people bristle at that phrase. That is, in fact, the phrase we need to use. We have been doing this work for seven years to more equitably redistribute resources throughout our school system. This guy's a socialist, folks, and a Marxist, and a social justice warrior, right? But this is the mayor of the largest city in the country, and he's at least coming out and saying it. He's a Marxist. And he wants policies that will, you know, sacrifice your children's education, will sacrifice your ability to, you know, build any kind of nest egg for yourself for retirement or, or get ahead, maybe choose a parochial or private school for your child in the future because you save up or send your kid to the, the college of his or her dreams, whatever. No, he's got a lot of welfare programs he wants to fund. He's got a lot of public expenditures that come from individuals being taxed into oblivion. I mean, I'm just telling you this right now. I'm not going to last in New York City. And I I have been, I'm a New Yorker through and through, grew up here, whole family's here. I'm leaving this place. I don't know how soon, but I'm leaving. I mean, within a year or two, I'm going to be out of here. Because what else is there to say? You've got people like this in charge, and everyone says, oh, well, de Blasio is so bad. The person who replaces him is likely to share this belief. Maybe he he or she won't say it so openly so brazenly but they really think the point of political power is to use it exercise it for the benefit of some at the expense of others because you think that's fair you know it's what as obama would say your fair share or it's the right thing to do and they just declare it as such and you divide people up by ethnicity you divide people up by racial group you divide them up by gender identity all these different things and make determinations about who should get what because you're in power and that's the way. Not that we're all treated as individuals worthy of equal dignity in the eyes of the law and certainly in the eyes of God. No, that's not the approach. The approach is some people have more stuff than other people. Let's divide them up by superficial characteristics and then start giving more to some than to others. And you're going to see so much more of this. This isn't just about New York. You're going to see so much more of this at the national level. I mean, the, the diversity talk you're going to hear about how this is as if this is some great national goal is to be the most diverse fill in the blank all the time, not diverse ideologically or, or, or you know, from a perspective of of perspective or of religion, even or no, no, ethnically and gender diverse. That is a primary goal of every government institution, according to Democrats, should be all the time. It's not the best man or woman for the job. It's who looks the best by their superficial characteristics on a spreadsheet of people we have in these jobs. Biden is expecting everyone to celebrate this. Democrats are expecting everybody to celebrate this. Can we talk more about competency? The the country's got big problems right now. 
And the focus on these superficial characteristics is is really uh, a distraction. And to a lot of us, it just shows that the the ideological fixation that the left has on this stuff. Here's here's Biden play four. Already, there are more people of color in our cabinet than any cabinet ever. More women than ever. The Biden-Harris cabinet, it will be historic. The cabinet that looks like America, that taps into the best of America, that opens doors and includes the full range of talents we have in this nation. And like the rest of the team, today's nominees are ready on day one, which is essential because we literally have no time to waste. Day one, what are they going to do on day one? Declare a mask mandate nationally? Oh, yeah, that's going to save us. Anyone who believes that is incapable of thinking for himself or herself, that that's going to be some game changer moment. There's the evidence to support that is non-existent. It's absurd. It's silly, actually. But it's also kind of scary and a little tragic. What else have they got? Not a whole lot. Not a whole lot of of ideas or, or things to offer up other than just bashing the other side for not believing the science. You know, fundamentally, this this starts to turn into one of these issues where they really seem to think that Trump supporters care so much about Trump that they don't even care about their own health, their own family's health, that this is all driven by some kind of a, a political tribalism when really, no, I, for me, this is the mask thing and the mandates has never been about Trump. It's always been about what works, what doesn't work, what's tyranny, what's not tyranny. And I ask those questions when we look at these policies. But hey, you know, even if, even if the Biden cabinet, if it comes in and it's, it completely fails to execute on this promise to start the healing of the nation and all this stuff and, and to, to crush the virus as if that's even possible. That may not work, but, but at least we'll get a lot of lectures on how diverse it is. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Ain't no party like a Team Buck party, because a Team Buck party don't stop. Yeah, we got Buck turned up to 11. It's time for Roll Call. Roll Call, Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton or Team Buck at iHeartMedia.com. Plus, I'm on the TikTok now. Uh, I know the Chinese... Connie's party spying on me, so don't worry, I'm aware. And um, what else have we got? Uh, people can Instagram message. Maybe I'll do some Instagram lives with uh, with Tallulah, so people can see that. It'd be fun stuff. Um, and I also have to say a special thank you. He's supposed to be on vacation, but we had tech issues today in studio, and so at the last moment, he got off the beach, took off his sunglasses, kicked the sand off his toes, and producer Mark actually joined us today, even though he is 100% supposed to be on vacation. So, producer Mark, we all just say thank you to you. Well, uh, you, you're welcome. And where is the beach exactly? It's not in my apartment. That's yeah, for sure. I meant metaphorically. Yeah, I the guess metaphorical beach. The, yeah. Oh. I mean, the Jersey Shore is probably open to you right now, but a little cold. Uh, yeah, and probably some snow covering it. So. Yeah, and, and you know, going swimming at the beach in the wintertime in a wetsuit doesn't have quite the same appeal. Yeah, I'm not into. I'm not one of those polar plunge kind of people. You know, it's funny. I went to a I went to a a, a summer camp uh, where they had this this group that would get up every morning at dawn 
and go jump in the cold lake in Vermont. And I never really understood that one. You know, people do that for charity every year, all over the Northeast, really, or I guess everywhere. It's called the Polar Plunge. I used to live in Long Beach, New York, and they would go, I forget what charity it benefits. Well, that's nice. I mean, anything yeah. for charity is good. I, I didn't know about this, yeah, really. But that, the, that's, uh, like that's thousands of people go jump in the freezing cold ocean for charity. Right. Well, they're raising money for something. I'm just saying to do that every morning for eight weeks of a summer because now that's oh, yeah. not as cold. That's it was insane. summertime in Vermont. But that water was pretty was pretty uh, brisk. Oh, pretty I mean, brisk. it's the summer. How cold could the water be? mornings in vermont i tell you up in the mountains in vermont that the morning water is pretty it'll wake you up i'll tell you that much it'll wake you up right now that water is actually used for hockey probably yeah that's no. that's true it is probably used for hockey so and i i've been to a i went to kind of a, a turkish style bath in new york once um you know a turkish style bath in new york and they they had a, a an ice an actual ice bath and you jump in there and your body, I will say your body goes into kind of like this moment of shock when you, so imagine a big cup of, of ice water and you actually went for a jump in it, right? Whew. Athletes do that all the time. Yeah, I, mm. I guess. I don't know. People have all this. And then there's the cryogenic stuff or the cryo something or other, cryo bath, I think. I don't know what it's called, but you get in a super cold temperature and it like repairs mitochondrial damage or something. There's all this supposed science behind it. Yeah, athletes do some weird stuff to make their bodies ready, and I guess everyone does some weird stuff to make their bodies feel better. Yeah. Well, so huh? since you were supposed to be on vacation and we made you work today, even though you're not supposed to at all, well, why don't you tell everybody how was your weekend, producer Mark? What, what, how how was the thought of being on vacation for a couple of days? Well, it was very relaxing for two days to be off, uh, and then I got a call this morning, and now I'm here. Yeah. That's yeah. Uh, basically anything what fun from the weekend though. No, I didn't really do anything this weekend. I went grocery yeah. shopping. Yeah. yeah. I got to hang out with my little my little nephews, two months old. He's fun. Um, it's fun. I haven't spent that much time around a baby before. Babies are fun. Is then this your first time and holding and, and playing with a baby? I mean, that I can really remember, yeah. Babies are fun. I've still like never held a baby. Too, yeah. Huh? Learning new things all the time. All right, let's get to some roll call here. We only got two more days of roll call. Remember, the godfather, Mike Opelka, will be in for me on wednesday and with that we get to justin who writes could trump sue the government as a private citizen as of now trump is our president for argument's sake biden will be inaugurated on the 20th of january could trump as a private citizen open a class class action lawsuit representing all small businesses around the country specifically for damages caused by mandates that strip small businesses of their constitutional rights as well as cause damages to all their employees. If so, do you think constitutional attorneys would sign on to assist? I know it's a wild theory, but do you think that's a movement that could gain traction? I have to apologize. I listen to you in my UPS truck and do a lot of brainstorming behind the windshield. Keep up the amazing work you do. I pass the buck on the regular. You're one of the good ones. Much love and Merry Christmas. Justin, much love and Merry Christmas right back to you. And thank you very, very much uh, for um, writing in. I don't I think the answer and I appreciate you're thinking outside the box on this one. I think the answer to your question is no, that wouldn't really I don't think that would work. I don't think he could get standing. I don't think a class action lawsuit. I'm sure there's like sovereign immunity would come into effect. I mean, there's all kinds of legal doctrines that are meant to mean that the government can get away with bad decision making and you can't do anything about it. Uh, so and remember, you'd also have I mean, if you're talking about a judge making these determinations, you would have a lot of difficulty convincing many people across the country 
even still that the lockdowns were not necessary. So that's another major challenge, another big problem here. So I, I appreciate I give you points for thinking outside the box and, and looking at the theory here and trying to determine what's really going on. But no, I, I, my friend, I don't think Trump's going to sue as a private citizen in a class action. I don't think that's going to happen. Michael, want to cure COVID? Simply ban press conferences and appearances of politicians and bureaucrats until COVID is declared under control and we are fully reopened. Well, Michael, appreciate your uh, cynical response here about this and or your, your letter to us about this. And I would say, yeah, I mean, there's certainly a lot of panic porn, a lot of fear being peddled out there by people who like being in charge. And we know the real way to, to cure COVID is herd immunity. Herd immunity is achieved in part through vaccines. But one thing we haven't really talked about much today is why aren't we telling people that you know, we should also be looking at this and determining who's already been sick and they should be at the at the back of the covid line. Well, what, we're going to vaccinate people who have already been sick. I mean, that seems to be the process, as I understand it right now. And that to me doesn't make any sense at all. Um, it, it, why would we do that? I mean, people everything we know about about the science here tells us that if you've been sick, you certainly are protected for a while, and you're probably protected for a long time. Douglas Buck, censors like Facebook's fact checkers don't delete inform- don't delete false information. They eliminate true information that is dangerous to the censor's cause. Well, Douglas, I, I hear you on this one, and, and I'm very frustrated and very concerned about the future of this country right now because of the social media companies just open collusion with the Democrat Party, because that is what they're doing. The open collusion with the Democrat Party to suppress unpopular views. I, I cannot even tell you all the things that I want to say on platforms like Facebook and Twitter, uh, because I know that it'll just get it'll get censored. So you won't even see it. And then I'll get punished. So what is the point? This this goes to my don't charge the machine guns without a plan. Uh, I just get I just get blown away for nothing. You won't even see it. So the, my voice won't be heard on the point. And then they'll uh, they'll suspend or even delete my account. So I can't even say things on this. So I can say things here and I do. But I can't use the the digital mechanisms that one might have in play to do stuff. And, and that's very frustrating. And I, I think it's deeply concerning for the future of the country because we are approaching. I mean, I was on outnumbered today on Fox News uh, hopefully some of you saw it and I was outnumbered on Fox News. And, and one thing that I think is, is very clear is that we, we are trending, as I said, and I, I really back that we are trending toward Chinese censorship. Now, that's not to say that we are a totalitarian state like China. That's obviously that would be an exaggeration. That's not fair. But we are trending toward a situation where the government can just decide acceptable viewpoints on contentious policy issues right this isn't a clear and present danger or this isn't a imminent harm to an individual kind of a speech test this is just i don't like the things you're saying i'm going to prevent you from saying it and we have way too much acceptance of this in society now i will say it again the biggest dangers to free speech in america today are mainstream journalists and social media platforms they are the most favorable and in the strongest position to engage in widespread censorship of unpopular views. And by unpopular, I mean things the left does not like. 
It's not even about popularity in the general sense of what the public wants to know or should know. No, this goes far. This goes far beyond that. It goes into it goes into the kind of editorial censorship that is really the hallmark of a regime that you cannot and should not trust. Right? They're they're telling you what you can say on issues of public debate and then acting like there should be no debate on them in the first place. That's absurd. And the Jurdos go along with all this because they want to be on the winning team. They want to use this moment in time to try to reassert their power. So that's what they're doing. That's their uh, that's the decision that they're taking on all this. And it's appalling. I mean, they should be the most robust defenders of free speech. They should be the ones who are doing everything they can to try to defend the First Amendment in the face of these pressures to shut down free and open discourse. And instead, they are cheerleaders for the censorship. They are cheerleaders for the eradication of this freedom. And and it's disgusting. But that's who they are. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. All right, more roll call. Second to last day of the roll call before the Christmas break here in the Freedom Hut. So we're trying to get in as much as we can. And we got Jim, who's got, hey, Buck and Mark, Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah. I'm a medical laboratory scientist in a hospital and also a fire department medic in West Michigan. On Friday, 12-18, the first day they had a supply, I was lucky enough to receive my first dose of the COVID vaccine. It was the Pfizer one. I'm 41 years old and in relatively good health, although I am a smoker, so that made me worry about getting the virus due to the respiratory aspect. As of today, 12-21-20, I have not had a single side effect from the vaccine. My arm wasn't even sore like the flu shot can sometimes cause. Just wanted to share my experience as I hope to encourage everyone who has the chance to get the vaccine to do it. I also send my side effects or lack thereof to the CDC every day through an app so they can collect more data on a voluntary basis. Thanks for all you guys do for us. Shields high, fellow patriots. Well, shields high to you, Jim, and a Merry Christmas and a Happy Hanukkah. Well, Happy Hanukkah, I think, was for producer Mark and our Jewish members of Team Buck. But uh, Jim, um, I, I think I think people should get the vaccine when offered. I think that certainly anybody who's over 65 should should really seriously consider doing it. I, I think they should do it. I don't believe it should be mandated, but I think people should do it. I think it's a risk not to. And I think if you're over 40, it may be it, and you're going to be exposed to a lot of people. It makes sense to also really give it serious consideration. Uh, you know, by the time kids are supposed to get this, you know, 18 year olds, 15 year olds, etc. I think we'll be so far along in herd immunity that there'll be much less pressure for them to get it. But, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of irrationality around this issue. And there's a lot of people who are so driven by fear and all this that they're they just are unwilling to they're unwilling to process new information on it. They view it the way they view it, and that's what they're stuck on. And so they think that until everybody gets the vaccine. And again, that brings me to my point about what about those who have already had the virus? They're still supposed to get a vaccine for a virus they've already had and beaten, and their system is cleared. You know, there's so much of this. We're making all these policy decisions. We don't know. We don't know how long immunity lasts. That's not the same thing as saying you don't have immunity for a long time. We just don't know. We don't know if you're able to 
pass the virus to somebody, even if you don't have a clinical level of infection from it uh, after you get the vaccine. But we don't know. It could very well be that if you get the vaccine, you're good. You can't give it to anybody. But they always make the decisions. They always make the proclamations based upon the most negative, highest anxiety point of view on this. And I'm just sick of it. I've just had enough. Dave, I love your perspective on making the bread part of the meal. All right. Thank you, Dave. I've also taken to another level uh, and towards the end of the cooking of my grilled cheese. I like to not only use garlic, salt and onion powder, but I also sprinkle some Parmesan cheese on one side, flip it, hit the other side, flip it again. And when I'm done, it creates a crispy crust on the outside of the bread. I've also made a double decker with the same recipe, but it's just too much for me at one sitting. So I prefer a single these days. Enjoy. Happy holidays. And thanks so much for your perspective. It's helpful looking at things in a more with a more critical mind which is needed these days. Take care of my friend. Well, Dave, thank you so much and, and happy, uh, happy holidays. Merry Christmas to you. And uh, producer Mark, when it comes to my cook the bread, don't just use it as a vehicle for the food. Um, another satisfied customer. I haven't tried it yet myself, but I do have some bread and some cheese and was planning on making a grilled cheese today. So I will report back after when I, well, when I hope my vacation starts after that. I'll, I'll exactly. Back. Well, yes, yes, we, we will. We are planning to let you go back to your vacation. And I would say, do, do yourself a favor and salt salt that bread and br- salt and maybe even brush with a little olive oil if you got it on the bread and get a nice browning on that bread going and then add the, the sandwich component in the middle you know, of the cheese, I should say, and, and do it that way. That's that's the move. Yeah, it sounds delicious. Yeah, I'm telling yeah. you, man, if you got a little a little onion powder, or a little garlic powder, just a little sprinkle on both sides of the bread. I'm. Cook the bread as part of the meal. Don't just the bread should not be an afterthought. You're going to be a very happy customer. And I like to use rye bread, so even more flavor there. Big, oof, oof! Look at you. You going to throw anything? And see, this is the part of the show where we always get hungry together every day. You going to throw anything else in that grilled cheese? You know, do you do like, uh, do you do bacon in your grilled cheese or? Uh, uh, I don't have any bacon defrosted at the moment, but I have some fresh tomatoes, so I might throw that in there. Very nice. Huh? Very nice. It's a good call. Kevin Haybuck and producer Mark Mayor Pete is saying he may Mayor Pete saying he is qualified to be secretary of transportation because he likes trains is similar to Joey Tribbiani getting his girlfriend a copy of the Velveteen Rabbit because she likes rabbits and cheese shields high. Uh, thank you, Kevin, although I don't get the reference at all. Do you, do you know about Joey Tribbiani getting the Velveteen Rabbit? Uh, I thought that was a friend's reference. I figured you'd get it. Yeah, well, it is a friend's reference, but this one went over my head. Well, anyway, guys, we thank everyone should send producer Mark a special note that writes in and say thank you, producer Mark, for coming in on his day off like a champ. His one real vacation of the year. He came in and helped us get the show on the air because we had tech issues. But uh, tomorrow we're going to be flying without Mark. So if the show is a disaster, you know why. And we want him to have a great vacation. Back tomorrow, usual time and place. Last show for the Buckster and the Freedom Hut of 2020. So be sure to join. Shields high.